Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hi, this is Henry Gilroy, co-executive producer of Star Wars Rebels. You're listening to Aggressive Negotiations. Welcome to Aggressive Negotiations, the Star Wars podcast on the Nerd Party Network. That is the bright center and also the light shining from outside all the corners of the galaxy as we continue to do weekly deep dives on every topic from every era. I am one of your hosts, Jedi Master John Mills, and with me is my dear, close personal friend, a person that I've known for a long, long time, Jedi Master Matthew Rushing. Matt, how are you today? Well, I'm just excited to be here, excited to be one of those thousand points of light in the galaxy (laughs) coming and converging here as we're sitting here. So, no, I'm just... <laughs> well... When you said that, it made me think of Dana Carvey doing yes. George H.W. Bush <laughs> Not uh, on Saturday it. Night Live. And we, we, we pay homage to him who, you know, yeah. he just passed away. Uh, and so uh, there, there's our little, uh, you know, RIP for uh, George H.W. Bush. Um, and I'm, I'm excited what we're going to talk about today because, um, you know, we're going to dive back into the uh, Jedi Apprentice series with the next book, The Captive Temple, which picks right up pretty much of, of where we left off of the last book and kind of completes the duology. And so, uh, but uh, as always, leads us on a cliffhanger for the next book. So I I'm, I just, I think we say it every time, but I just love this series and I got so much out of this, this book. Um, I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, me too. And uh, you know what? Just as a quick recap for everybody, thenerdparty.com slash contact if you want to get in contact with us. Uh, Go to thenerdparty.com for a wide range of podcasts on every sort of topic. You should know the drill by now if you're a longtime listener. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for joining us. Go to thenerdparty.com and find everything covered from Star Trek to Doctor Who to Babylon 5 to nerd nuptials to film festivals on the filibuster circuit to missing frames. You name it, we got it. Check it out at thenerdparty.com. Of course, the Nerd Party is over on Twitter at Join Nerd Party, and it's on Facebook and Instagram as the Nerd Party. And if you want to reach out to me and Matt on Twitter, you can reach out to us at the Jedi Masters on Twitter. That's our handle there, and we look forward to hearing from you. But Matt, you, you've let the uh, loft cat out of the bag here. Let's. <laughs> Let's let's go ahead and jump. Seriously, let's go ahead. Let's jump right into the Captive Temple because, like you, I love the Jedi Apprentice series. This is, and this is me coming at it fresh because I did not read it at the time, and it's a continually surprising series because I found myself during this book with some hints toward questions about character motivations and how things would have happened if Qui-Gon had survived through the Phantom Menace. And what I want to know is, 
if there's one or two chief insights you feel like you took away from the captive temple, what would they be for you? I think the thing that I really took away from this book is just how similar Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin were at that age. There's a real impatience and an impertinence to both of them. And uh, what we see here, though, I think throughout this book specifically, is the way that, you know, the experiences from the last book have really had a major impact on Obi-Wan and his psyche. And that has left a deep scar on him. And he's he's seeing the consequences of his actions and just how damning they were against him, the Jedi Order, and people he knew. Like, seeing the different ways in which the actions that he took there on Melodurdan... Um, and the the way they impacted not only Qui-Gon, but um, the rest of the Jedi Order, uh, and, and, and just people that he knew at the temple that were friends of his, and, and that impacts him greatly. But not only that, the loss of uh, his friend there, um, I think her name was Cerisi. Yeah, if I'm I, I think I yeah no, I I think the soft C is the right call on that. Yeah, uh, and so the loss of her and the fact that he couldn't save her, there's this this whole sense throughout the book too that there's been this anger that's been building in him, and we see that Xanatos and Brock very much are trying to draw this anger out of Obi Wan, and he almost gives in. But then at the very end of the book, he remembers the words of Qui-Gon, and he's able to stop himself from going down the path of anger and let it go. And I think that there's such an interesting dynamic there. So the thing that I really took away from this is that Obi-Wan could have turned out more like Anakin if he hadn't had somebody like Qui-Gon there to help him. But also, I think it just shows that Obi-Wan willingly makes another choice. He chooses not to be angry. He chooses to let that anger go. And that is something that we see Anakin can't do. Anakin cannot let the fear, he cannot let things go. And so I, I really, what I really come away from this novel is, is appreciating the fact that this series exists because it helps explain to us how Obi-Wan has basically gone through many of the same trials that Anakin did, but he made different choices, and it made him who he is as a character throughout the rest of the series. And I think that's really fascinating because I think it does shine light on the fact that maybe Anakin, um, if he would have just listened to Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan might not have been the worst master for him to have. The problem is, is that Anakin just doesn't listen. And in the end, there's only so much that you can do with a student, especially when they're unwilling to listen. Absolutely true. Uh, and I, I think that there are two things with, with that that I, that I would like to build on. W one of them is that what this series ha does, as any good expanded universe or quote-unquote canon work uh, does, is I think that one of the things that was very difficult for a lot of fans of the prequel era, is Lucas didn't spell it out quite as plainly for everybody. And so there was a surface read of things 
where they did not make the leap that there were character histories here that we just didn't have yet or that we weren't that that were left to us to imagine that were implied you know Qui-Gon's nature implies a certain you know there's a character to him but it seemed as if people were less willing to I, I think people the mindset was that people were primarily looking at the prequels as backstory to Luke as opposed to the story of these characters just like meeting Han in 1977 made you want to want wonder and ponder about his backstory there was almost this resistance to do the same with Qui-Gon or, or some other characters that had been there I, just sort of a side observation but one I wanted to throw at you is that I think that there's a very interesting thing because one of the things we've always pondered is would Anakin have turned out differently with Qui-Gon you know yes no maybe I think and, and you know we've talked about different ways that could have gone but I think that you see a setup here that Qui-Gon would have actually let Anakin go after the Tusken camp thing. Or we can all agree that Obi-Wan knew something was up between Anakin and Padme. And big thing here is trust. It's funny you mentioned that because it's something where I think Obi-Wan takes what Qui-Gon did for him and he extends the same courtesy to Anakin because that's what he wanted as 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 a young boy at that point he wanted that acceptance um I I would I would say I feel like that Qui-Gon makes it very difficult for Obi-Wan to earn his trust back um and he is going to accept him back because he throughout the book he realizes this deep connection that he and Obi-Wan have and that that should not be taken lightly but I don't know. I don't know if I completely agree with what well, you're let, let, let me let me build on it this way, that I think that there, Qui-Gon, yes, does obviously take Obi-Wan back, and there's the, you know, there's a connection between them. But Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan has that commitment in his heart. And the the problem is that Obi-Wan maybe believes that Anakin has that same commitment in his heart when he doesn't. Obi-Wan makes a presumption about Anakin, and I think that that presumption in some way is fueled by the fact that it's it's arguably safe for Qui-Gon to accept Obi-Wan back because Obi-Wan has, you know, he wants to be a Jedi more than anything, whereas that's not the same truth for Anakin. Do, so do, does that make sense now what, what I'm sort of going for here that Qui-Gon setting up this path back to the order uh, for Obi-Wan relies on a presumption that that is what Obi-Wan wants more than anything, mm-hmm. whereas right. it's not what Anakin wants more right. than anything. Yeah, and I think I do I do see that, and I think there is a, there's an interesting sense where that's one thing that we never really see in the PT and even really the Clone Wars so much. I mean, it's there a little bit, but we never really have a full-on conversation between Obi-Wan and Anakin out in the open about everything. In the same way that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have these conversations because it is all out in the open. And, you know, I think the the failing then for Obi-Wan becomes is that he does not confront Anakin with this and make him make the choice. 
um, because I do think that that's the problem. And, and you know, you never know. It could have created a whole other set of problems, too, because then Palpatine could come in and swoop them up easily and all. And so, but here, what I really uh, appreciate about this book, too, is is the way in which the council itself is not ready to willingly accept Obi-Wan back without him understanding the ramifications of his actions you know um and and you know base windu uh not w- known as being the most forgiving guy on the council yeah um and uh you know even yoda not necessarily uh, making it easy on him and i think that there's there's a real appreciation for the way in which um you know you have to be accountable for the actions that you take and i think that's a really important lesson for this book is that yes you can be forgiven but you have to earn that forgiveness here um you know uh unaccept you know just unrelenting favor on a on a character like this is is not good um when it's not coming from like a god right you know um well there, i mean there has the- to be a sense of repentance and and what we see is is obi-wan working through that repentance throughout the book and really finding that repentance i think fully especially when his friend um, Bant is almost killed because of everything that happens as well. And so, and she helps him find that forgiveness by forgiving him. And it's like, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's really well done. It's, and, and I think the way that Jude Watson kind of layers this, these things together, you know, when you see uh, the struggles that, Qui-Gon's having, you see the struggles that Obi-Wan's having. Other people are kind of having maybe similar struggles or have something similar happen, so it allows the characters to grow together, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, Watson has a real gift for character and character building. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, I, I would almost love to see her come back and, you know, take a crack at writing more stories from this time period or something uh, simply because Absolutely. what what I found so funny about the council is the only members of the council who speak are the ones we heard speak on screen. Right. <laughs> Whereas in the post Clone Wars era, like we'd hear we'd hear Plo Koon talking. We'd hear you know we'd hear Oppo Rancesas. We'd hear all of these people actually, you know, speaking about stuff. Um, and so you know you can definitely see where there's sort of like stay in the lane sort of mentality there where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can have some fun with this, but I can't have too much fun with this. Right. Um, but I, I do think her, her, she has such a gift. And, you know, I, I've talked about this. You've talked about this. We've talked about this through the whole series of really capturing dialogue that sounds right. We got one movie with Qui-Gon Jinn, but every utterance that he has sounds like something Liam Neeson is saying on screen. Like, it, you hear his voice. And I also found it so interesting, the, um, you know, we get more of the inner workings of the temple. And Xanatos, it's really fascinating because I think you can find even this parallel. It would be so cool to have some sort of story with Obi-Wan sort of reminiscing or when he learns to communicate with Qui-Gon, you know, when he's meditating on Tatooine and stuff like that, to sort of compare notes about Xanatos versus Anakin. What was the key difference here? Why would Xanatos, it seems that his real key difference is that his hatred of Qui-Gon is the motivating factor. 
mm-hmm. right? Like Xanatos could have been a big player, maybe even a Sith, if he wasn't so petty in his course of revenge. Yes, he tries to blow up the temple and everything, but his overarching goal always is to hurt Qui-Gon as badly as he can. Whereas Anakin just sort of has that selfish fury that wants to take everything down. But it, wouldn't it be great? I'd love actually for Jude Watson to get a chance to write that story where they have that conversation when Obi-Wan's on Tatooine. Yeah. Comparing notes about where we went wrong and why it went so much more wrong for me sort of thing. Every time we say the word Xanatos, it just makes me think the fresh maker. Yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay. I can hear that. What's, what's really interesting about the book is the way I think that, like you said, we actually get a taste of, of life at the temple. And I thought it was really neat, um, you know, getting the opportunity to see the master who was um, with the younglings that are like four years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Obi-Wan helped save them because uh, the one of the things that uh, Xanatos does is, is create this chaos in, in the um, Room of Thousand Fountains. And uh, the lift that goes over that, he creates a, 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 an explosion and that lift is in, in jeopardy. And Obi-Wan helps save all of those younglings. And I just thought that was really neat to get to see the the way in which, you know, the the Jedi care for these very young children who are Jedi. Um, the the way that they even talked about the Jedi there, the little youngling Jedi, the fact that, you know, by that point they've already learned how to calm themselves when something goes wrong. And so I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love the fact that we're getting to see um, – other characters with Jedi. I love Tall in the in the story, mm-hmm. who's Qui Gon's friend. Um, you know, who's just recently been blinded, and she's having to get used to life without uh, one of her senses that she's so used to having, and 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 finding ways to be useful without it. Um, and you know, just getting to know the other characters like Bant, who. Um, we see who's a friend of Obi-Wan's, you know, um, a Jedi of a, a completely different color. You know, um, she's yeah. an alien, you know, who uh, normally lives in water. Those kind of things, I think, is are, are just are just really well done. Um, and actually, too, uh, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, uh, there's a character that we meet here, a fellow student, Siri, who's going to be more important later on in the series. Yes, um, she's going to be the voice of uh, navigation mm-hmm. for every Jedi starfighter. Yeah, it's true. I, ha- I had um, to take hey, a joke. Siri. Please don't judge me, um, everybody. <laughs> oh, wait. I just actually... Act- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should just leave that in. Um, yes. Yes, I just activated Siri on my phone. So... Um, <laughs> To quote Newt no, Gunray, just, victory. <laughs> but I just think the thing that she was able to accomplish, I think more so in this book than any other book, was to bring the Jedi Order and the Jedi Temple to life a little bit in a way that we really haven't gotten before. And it's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the novel. Um, and it And what's crazy is that she can put all of this into a novel that... You know, honestly, on my iPad is like 79 pages. Yeah. I I, I think one of the strengths that she plays on and one of the things that she really uses to her advantage is creating a story. Like something that's really, really crystallized for me is 
it would have been so easy to stay fixated on the Sith or to have little Palpatine nuggets, you know, thrown. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? That's like the worst dinner you could have, Palpatine nuggets sprinkled out yeah, throughout the story. Yeah, that's a really, really bad KFC yeah. menu there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Wouldn't they be Anakin nuggets because, you know, oh, deep hey, fried extra crispy? Too, too soon, too soon. Uh, but um, it, it would have been so easy for an author to fall back on that type of thing. And instead, I think the reason we're getting so much great character work and so much, uh, you know, focused Jedi lifestyle stuff so, you know, in such brief packages that's so worthwhile is that we're not bogged down with trying to connect it all to the movies. This mm-hmm. is free of that obligation. And I think that all of the best uh, expanded universe stuff exists in that space it, yeah like you look at Shatterpoint completely not you know it, it does it have to do with characters from the movies absolutely it does does it have to do with themes that tie to the movies absolutely it does but it also uh you know is a, a story on its own and you mentioned this completes the duology I, I mean this really does feel like a serial you have your mustache twirling villain who's going to come back to fight another day. And you have this ongoing story. But again, you know, something that I've praised the previous books on, just enough to bring you up to speed in the beginning so that if it's been a while since you read the last one or you haven't read one before this, you could plug right into this and everything works. It's exactly the way Lucas created his his Star Wars films was you don't need to see what came before. Just enjoy it. Just jump right in, and you'll catch up in the first couple of pages. Something that I really thought was interesting in this book is the way in which uh, she talks about, and, and Obi-Wan realizes specifically this deep bond that exists between masters and apprentices. And I thought that was really neat to, to be able to get a chance to get a little more insight on. And it's something I think that, Honestly, I think the Clone Wars picked up on mm-hmm. when they had Ahsoka and Anakin and seeing that relationship. Um, and it just makes me continually want to see a series um, with the Jedi in this time period before the Clone Wars so we get an understanding of what that's like. I think it just would be a fantastic series, and that's why I think one of the things that makes this so good is getting the opportunity to see the Jedi before everything collapsed and before everything's already really going wrong. And I loved the fact that you you have this relationship that we you know we've seen play out on screen in, in various ways, but to read about it here, you know, and, and as Obi-Wan realizes that he and Qui-Gon already have this very deep bond that goes beyond really his even understanding, except to understand how much then he has hurt his, his master by his actions. I think there's such a, a real depth to the story, which I really appreciate, you know, we're getting really good Star Wars content through this, and it's helping feed that my desire to know more about the Jedi in this time period. And I think it also helps, too, to see 
um, the Jedi in this this time not just be the ones who get duped, but they really are the people trying to do the right thing. I mean, we have this whole story uh, in here where, I mean, the reason Xanatos is here is because actually the Jedi are in the uh, in the course of a mediation between two warring mm-hmm. planets. And they are holding these things that are used as credits, basically, in that area of space. And they can't deliver them to these two planets until they've completed the peace treaty they're a part of. So we really do see that the the Jedis are are doing exactly what they're meant to do, that the Jedi are are being peacekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I really I just the stuff that we're getting here I think is is really grand and I think uh it's it's so rife for storytelling. I just I wish that we could see more of this because I think the Jedi tend to get a bad rap. I mean just see the last Jedi um, where you, Luke talks about how, how bad they were, basically. But what we see here is that's not true. And I really appreciate that there's there are two sides to every story here. Right, and right. the Jedi of this time period are, are at doing what they can try to do. Uh, the Jedi in this time period are doing what they should be doing, which is trying to keep the peace around the galaxy. Well, the Jedi certainly had. Uh, I like. I always, I always worry about this because you're you're the Jedi defender, and I'm always the one that seems to be coming down on the side of. Oh, I don't know. The Sith had a point, you know. Like I, I <laughs> so I don't know what that says about us. But I, what I find nice about the whole negotiation thing that they're in the middle of um, is it is a pre-echo or what you know, it's a, a tone poem thing or what have you. Of that's why. It it shows exactly how routine it would be for Qui Gon and Obi Wan to have been sent off to negotiate a settlement with the Trade Federation at, at the beginning of the Phantom Menace. We see here this is routine for the Jedi; they get involved mm-hmm. in things to try to work them out. And um, I also think that with the fact that they're dealing with these, you know, th- this precious commodity that's used as currency. That's a pre-echo as well that there are parts of the galaxy that don't use Republic credits, because right. and that ties into Watto's line. You know, I need something more real, um, and uh, you know, so I, money, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but you know, it, it's um, it's a delightful book. I, I I really wish that they would re-release all of these as some mm, sort absolutely. of a a singular. Or multi-volume sort of thing, like put the Legends label on it if you want to. But there's absolutely nothing in this that's contradicted by anything. So yeah, you know, the only thing that I noticed is that um, obviously their lightsaber is apparently short out in water, which is not true. Ah, um, but it was in the original cut of uh, not released in theaters or anything, but in the Phantom Menace. Uh, when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon show up and you can still see, see the tail end of this conversation, um, you find out that Obi-Wan's been running from the battle droids on the steps because his lightsaber shorted out in water and Qui-Gon looks at it and talks about, you know, well, you know, you could have avoided this mistake. And the very tail end of that is you you see them facing each other. It, it cuts back in and it is... Um, 
a conversation that existed, but Lucas decided to take it out, which is fortunate because then he didn't have to worry about any contradictions with like Kit Fisto, Fisto lighting up his lightsaber underwater and well, stuff like that. Or Anakin when they're, you know, uh, at Mon Cal. Uh, and that whole right. sequence where you know you have although of, yeah so <laughs> I, I I can't I can't recall and it's a shame because I just reread it this year but I'm pretty sure that that lightsaber shorting out underwater thing survived in the novelization by Terry Brooks oh, I'll interesting. Ha- I'll have to look that up but yeah I know all that just to say she was working with something that was ultimately cut out of the Phantom Menace. I wanted to ask you, because when we get to the end of the book, you know, Xenatos has gotten away, and the council, specifically Yoda, has told Qui-Gon not to go after him, that you're too emotionally invested in this, and you need to let this go. We'll handle this. And uh, he will come to you when the time is ready. Um, And Qui-Gon specifically makes the uh, decision to go after him, and Obi-Wan says, well, if you're going after him, then I'm coming with you. Um, mm-hmm. And so what did you think about that end? I loved it. I think that the interesting thing is that the council specifically says we can't forbid you, but you shouldn't. They, they So there seems to be this limitation, but I like the fact that what it sets up is it plays into Qui-Gon's history that Obi-Wan references in The Phantom Menace, do not defy the council master, not again. You know, you you get an idea that Qui-Gon is, you know, no, Qui-Gon, don't do this. We can't we can't physically stop you from doing it, but you shouldn't do this. Qui-Gon's response, eh, gonna do it. Like, I like that. It ties together. Uh, what what was your opinion? No, I I actually came down on the same side. And and the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that I think that it just adds dimensions to Qui-Gon's character in the sense that he is not above failure. He is not above making the wrong choice. And what we see here is I do think he is probably making the wrong choice because his emotional state at this moment and going after Xanatos is probably clouded to the point where it will actually end up getting them into trouble in the next Mm -hmm. book. Because Likely. of that. And I think that's, an, uh, you know, Qui-Gon is, is one of those characters like we kind of have on a pedestal because we don't know tons about. And I think that's she's true. doing a great job. And, and for all we know about him, especially from the Clone Wars, the fact that, you know, he's the first one uh, in ages to be able to get the gift of being able to come back at all throughout through the Force after death and all of those kind of things. I think that's phenomenal. But we also see a character who's who does have some flaws and can get overcome by his emotions as well. The same thing he's been trying to keep Obi-Wan from doing all book. And so... I really appreciate that because I think it it creates this nice duality between these two and it creates a great relationship between these two and it shows that Master has as much to learn sometimes from Apprentice as Apprentice does from Master. I think that'll be a really interesting dynamic to see play out maybe in the next couple of books. Completely agree. But uh, before we get into those next couple of books, where do you land with this one? What, like, ratings seem, they're seeming less and less like a thing uh, for me as I get older. But we all like (laughs) to put things on scales. So, uh, you know, out of five fire gems uh, or healing crystals, 
Out of five mm. healing crystals, uh, what do you rank this one? I actually felt like this one was probably one of the strongest that we've read so far, and they've all been strong, but I, I specifically feel like this one has done a great job of using everything she's already done to this point and really kind of moving the story forward, but also moving the characters forward and kind of continuing to deepen the storylines for the characters and, and the way that these arcs are kind of helping change them. So I, I give her uh, all the credit in this one. I, I think that this one is definitely worth uh, 4.25 fire crystals, healing crystals. Yeah, I, I give this a, so this is a solid four. This is a absolutely solid four with a little bit extra thrown on top. Um, I think that there are some whipped cream and a cherry. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that there is with the brevity. There's a little bit that could have been gone into more. I understand the medium. I understand the limitations of the specific audience that you're going for when you're writing this. But I, I like you, I have nothing but praise for Watson. I think she's fantastic. And um, wh while it, you know, comes down officially at like quote unquote officially at like a four or whatever it's an emphatic four it's a it's a if you're a star wars fan you should really read these books for you know so i guess 4.25 well, then i think that the crazy thing here is that she's gotta have done some pretty meticulous planning because of the way that these books kind of play into each other so i have to give her top marks for the fact that each of these books fits together so well yeah that I don't know how she did the planning for each one, but it's stellar. I mean, the the way that the plot for each book plays with the plot from the next book, which plays into the plot for the next book, and everything builds upon the other, she's done a very good job of that. So whether she planned out, you know, the duologies uh, together um, and then kind of use what she did there to build the next, I don't know, or maybe she kind of had an outline for like, you know, seven eight books at a time uh in the sense of like the broad overstrokes i don't know but to me that's one of the things i'm really impressed with and it's specifically what helped my rating with this one was just she's done a really good job of continuing to uh take everything she's done and actually use that you know use the experiences the characters they're going through to have little callbacks to those different adventures that they've had so you know, that's the hallmark of a good author who's paying attention to their own work, which I love. Yep, me too. Me too. Uh, if anybody wants to discuss the Jedi Apprentice series, where can they find you online? Well, uh, you could do that. Uh, I am MattRushing02. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and the old uh, letterbox under that same name. So you can find me all over there. All over the place online, uh, Matt Rushing Zero Two. I'm here on the network. Uh, I do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. Uh, we are actually going through the Order of the Phoenix now. And uh, as this episode drops, we will have just dropped episode 100 of that show, which is the very middle of the podcast. So um, I hope you'll check it out. You can find me on the Trek FM network doing a couple of shows. I do The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I do our general geek show, which is all about every fandom that we love. It's called the 602 Club. 
And honestly, we really do. We try to cram in as many fandoms as possible into that show, so I hope you'll check that out. And last but not least, I do cinema stories, and that's with my friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. We're on a little hiatus for Christmas because we're so busy, uh, but we'll be back in the new year, so I hope you'll check all those out. But John, where can people catch up with you, especially if they want to talk Jedi Apprentice or, you know, just maybe maybe Christmas or anything else that's going on? Oh, well, gosh, you can uh, find me as Kessel Junkie, uh, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads, look for me there. Uh, also, uh, Jabberjaw with uh, my pal Craig on Wars with Nerds. And, uh, you know, roaming around and uh, getting ready for the return of Great Shot Kid here on the Nerd Party in 2019. But with all of that said, Matt, I think there's only one thing left to say. I think it's time to close negotiations. John, negotiations are closed. Join the nerd party. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.